Would you guys welcome her, please? I will have fun. Um, good morning, Elevation. It's really good to be with you guys again. Good to see a lot of familiar faces and new faces. And we're always grateful for the invitation, though we can't always say yes. Um, when we do say yes, just to get to partner with Casey and Don and the Lord in serving you guys. So whenever Casey invites us to come, he's always like, just whatever the fire in your belly is, that's what I want you to share. Um, and so then it's always like, what's the fire in my belly? Um, but it is always a process of kind of paying attention to what God has been speaking to me and then kind of asking him, hey, what, what of this is for elevation for these specific people at this specific time? And so I always come and I come today with a sense of excitement of I feel like I've heard the Lord speak. I've been paying attention to what he's been saying to me. And I felt the sense of, hey, I think this is for Elevation today. Um, so as we start, I kind of want to ask you to do something that maybe feels a little different or a little weird, but um, just to take a second, the title of our sermon today is uh, Advent Hope. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. Um, and we're going to talk about Jesus's body and our body and us as the body of Christ. So to do that, I'd actually love you to take a second and just notice your body. You came here today in a body. I know I sometimes forget that. So take a second to just pay a little bit of attention to your body and how you're feeling. You're sitting in a chair, your feet are touching the floor, maybe your shoulders rubbing up against someone next to you. Maybe you feel a little chilly, like it. I like the extra, the extra shoulder rubbing happening. Maybe you're feeling warm. So just kind of pay attention a little bit to your body. And then also kind of let your body help you notice that God's here with us. Casey just said at the end of worship, well, that felt like a warm bonfire of Jesus' love, right? I think we could all probably picture what a warm bonfire feels like. God gave us our bodies to help us notice his presence with us, and we know by faith that he's here. And he also wants us, he wants to help us know by experience that he's here. So there's probably some little clue in your body that he's here with us. Your breath, you are breathing in the breath of life. Your heartbeat, his life in you. Sometimes it's a little bit of warmth down our back, a little bit of fire in our belly, a little bit of skin prickles next to us. Those are all reminders he's here with us. So how is he reminding you right now through your body that he's here? Pay attention to that and keep Paying attention to that as we open his word together. Um, so like Casey mentioned, today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season leading up to Christmas. The word means coming. It's when we remember the coming of Christ in the incarnation, and it's when we look forward to the fact that he is coming back. Um, like we sang this morning, we can't wait to see you face to face. He's coming back. And that's what Advent is, a remembering, a paying attention to the fact that he came in the flesh to earth and that he's coming back to take us to be with him forever. Um, and traditionally, Advent is broken up into weeks, and the first week focuses on hope. Um, the hope that the people of God had for generations, looking forward to the Messiah, that hope fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And also the hope of he is returning. He, he began restoring all things on the cross and in the resurrection. And he is going to fully do that. And we look forward to that with hope. And so this week we focus on hope. Um, we have the unique privilege maybe in California of at the same time as we talk about Christmas, we can talk about the beach because I want to tell you a little story about being at the beach. That might not work so well if I was in Chicago, but that works here, right? So just a couple weeks ago, I was at the beach, and the beach is one of my favorite places, and it's always been a place of, of connection with God. Something about the giganticness of the ocean that just reminds me of the bigness of God. And so I was at the beach, and I had a couple hours of solitude by myself on the beach, which is like the biggest treat ever to do whatever I wanted with God at the beach. And 
and it was fantastic. And I don't know about you, but for me also, the beach can be kind of a complicated place related to my body, because the beach of any place is a place where all kinds of bodies are on display. And it makes me very aware of mine and very aware of everyone else's and a little bit uncomfortable in my own skin and a little bit uncomfortable with their skin. And it's just a whole, I'm not so sure how we all feel. Um, and that can sometimes hold me back from the full enjoyment of what God has for me in the sand and in the water and under the sky. And so I'm sitting on the beach having a wonderful time with God and a sort of uncomfortable time in my own body. And I look over and there's these two girls, they're probably like six or seven, who are just cartwheeling all over the shore. They're like sprinting, they're diving in the sand, they're like kicking up the waves with their cartwheels. And at first I'm just like, look, they're cute. And then I felt the spirit of God say, no, look, like watch them. And they are just like, their cartwheels weren't so great, but they were like full body cartwheel, loving every moment of it. And I felt the Lord say, that's why I gave you a body, to fully experience and enjoy my goodness. Like, they are fully experiencing the beach right now. The sand, the water, each other, and they are having so much fun. And their body is part of it, and it's why I gave it to them. So just watch them cartwheel. So I'm watching them, and they're going crazy, and it's so fun, and I'm laughing out loud by myself, probably looking really weird. And then I had the sense of going for a you know, I wanted to go for a walk. So I go for a walk, and the next thing I see is this other kid, like six or seven years old, he dug a pit that was now full of that, like, mucky, dirty, oceany, watery mud, and he's, he's fully clothed and full body rolling in it, just, like, on his back and on his stomach, and the waves are coming, and he has sand in his hair, same thing, right? This full body experience of just pleasure at the seashore that God was saying, like, these are, this is what bodies are for. I have good things to share with you, and I want you to, like, roll around in it. I didn't roll around at that moment, but had I been a little more free, maybe I would have. But just this full body roll around in my goodness kind of a thing. Um, and so he began to speak to me just, I, I went on a walk and it just came more and more things, started by those couple of kids of, I want you to be here in your body as a way to experience my goodness. And so it's kind of, it's part of a long journey of years that I think will still be for many more years of God helping me understand why he put us in bodies and the reality that he put us in bodies and that's good. And so then I began to think about Advent about Advent is we're celebrating the incarnation of God, right? God showing up in a body on the earth to reveal himself to us. And so that's what I want to look at today a bit is Jesus coming in a body and what that means for our life lived in our bodies. So there's a really familiar passage um, that's probably often read at Christmas to talk about this incarnation. Carne is meat, flesh, right? He put on flesh. So this is in John 1, 14, where John, who, was, who saw Jesus in the flesh, says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then John talks about it again a little bit later in another letter that he wrote. He's testifying to the appearance of Jesus, and he uses just very physical references in 1 John 1, 1 to 3. I think it's up there, yeah? He says, he's talking about Jesus, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the center of, of the Christian message. Central to the Christian message is Jesus who was born, lived on earth, 
died a real death, was buried, was resurrected in bodily form, appeared to his followers, ascended to heaven, and is returning, right? That's the center of kind of the Christian good news. And yet somehow I think we kind of forget or gloss over or ignore, I know I do, minimize that Jesus came in a body. I think we say that, but we kind of think about it like he floated through the earth as some mysterious, like, God-man that we don't really take seriously the fact that he took on flesh. And it matters because it's the way that he worked salvation for us, and he's teaching us as sort of the example of what it means to be fully human, he's teaching us how to live inside our bodies. So this kingdom that he came announcing isn't just some kind of mysterious knowledge, ethereal experience. It is a whole person, mind, body, soul, spirit, everything kind of something. So I'd love for you to take a minute and think about Jesus coming in the flesh, the incarnation that we celebrate at Advent, and kind of just call to mind what are some of the really like physical bodily aspects of Jesus' coming that maybe we don't think about all that often. And maybe even turn to someone next to you and share with them what comes to mind as like a way that Jesus came that was very physical in his body. Tell your neighbor. I'm going to take us just on a super brief tour a super brief tour of Jesus where I want us to just look at how much he actually took on flesh. When we look at the Gospels and begin to study the life of Christ, a couple of them, the very first thing they start with is the genealogy of Jesus, tracing sort of the generations of the family he came from. And then Jesus was born of a woman, born of Mary. I don't know if I could think of anything more bodily than childbirth. And all it is is sort of a bodily process and so much more, spiritual and emotional. But the physical is a huge part of it. And then the life of an infant in the first few weeks is consumed in this little tiny thing that's eating and sleeping and pooping. And that's about it, snuggling with, its mom and, with his mom and dad, right? And Jesus began life on earth that way. He grew up as a kid. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. Jesus was sleepy, and he walked. He walked all over the place. He spent his life walking from town to town. Jesus wept. Think about sort of the physical experience of weeping. That's a pretty full-body experience. Jesus fasted. Jesus feasted. He touched lepers whom nobody else would touch. He mixed mud with spit and put it on blind eyes. Maybe that's what that kid at the beach was doing, getting ready for. He took people by the hand and raised them up from fever and death. He fed hungry people and then declared himself to be the bread of life. He let Mary anoint his feet and wipe them with her hair. He washed his disciples' feet. He sat back at the table after eating and reclined closely with his good friends. He sweat blood. He was whipped and beaten and spat upon. He was killed by crucifixion. His body was wrapped in cloths and buried. He came out of the grave. Mary Magdalene clung to his feet when she saw him in the garden. His disciples, when he appeared to them and thought he was a ghost, they got to touch him and watch him eat fish. Thomas put his hand in his wounds. And his disciples got to watch him go from standing on a mountain to rising up to heaven, promising to return. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took on a body. What for? John said in that passage, we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. So Jesus came in the flesh to reveal to us 
God. And then to accomplish our salvation and to invite us into his very real kingdom. And that coming centers on his death and resurrection. And when the Bible talks about the salvation that he worked for us in his death and resurrection, it talks about his body. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Hebrews 10.10, talking about the will of God, says, By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And speaking of his resurrection and our future resurrection, Paul talks in Corinthians, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? If there's anything that threatens our bodies and the rest of us more than anything else, it's death. And Jesus in his coming and his dying and his rising defeated death, sort of our body's ultimate enemy and our soul's ultimate enemy. So Jesus' coming in the flesh alerts us to the fact that our life with God is not disconnected from our bodies. It's not just our bodies. It's way more than that, right? It's our soul and our spirit and our mind and our heart. But we often seem to leave out the body. And God is saying, as Jesus came and born a baby and lived and died, my salvation for you and my life and connection with you is connected to your body. So that brings me to us and the fact that we all showed up here today in a body and it's connected to all the other parts of us. And so it's connected to our life with God. And that takes us back to the beautiful beginning in Genesis, where we kind of ask, what's the point here? And it talks, in Genesis, we're told about God's creation of our bodies. Genesis 2 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then later, he says, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the beautiful beginning where we see God's intention and design for us as whole people, our bodies included, that he, the great artist, formed and shaped us, breathed life into us, and put, put Adam and Eve in this place of communion with God, communion with each other, of enjoying his creation, of beautiful work and stewardship of his creation. He made us good. Psalm 139 says it this way, where David is expressing the reality of God making us. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I love how intimate this passage is of God's very personal, very close connection to when you were being formed in your mother's womb. When each human on this earth was being formed in their mother's womb, he was there in his loving presence, in his skillful and wise presence, guiding the process. And so, as I've been meditating on this, it sort of led me to this observation that maybe is obvious but has not always been obvious to me, that our bodies are good. Um, and so kind of the first thing I want us to think about today is that our bodies are good, but they are not God. Um, and I think in the church and in the world, we've probably tended toward one or the other, one or the other of these lies. Our bodies are good, but they're not God. So we've often either ignored our bodies or rejected our bodies 
Or we've worshipped our bodies and elevated our bodies as ultimate. We've hated our bodies as sort of some sort of necessary evil that we can't wait to get rid of. Or we've made them the thing around which we orbit. And here God is saying, your body is good, but it's not ultimate. It's not God. It's not the, the end goal of your life. And we see right away after this beautiful beginning that when sin entered the world after the fall, one of the consequences is just the total disruption and distortion of the way we relate to bodies, our own and each other's. That all got messed up as sin entered the world. Shame and lies entered. Pain and sickness entered. Frustration in our labor and work entered. Exploitation and harm entered. Injury and death came. And I think we all know that our sin continues to distort the way that we see and treat and relate to bodies, our own and other people's. And Jesus came to redeem all of that because God's purpose for our bodies is good. And his salvation includes the restoration of all things. And we are whole people. So we need to hear that our bodies are good. And we need to hear that our bodies are not God. I think on the, on the good side, unfortunately, one of the outcomes of our broken relationship with our body is that some of us, or each of us in some ways, have totally rejected our bodies. We've tried to pretend we don't have them. We've tried to escape them. We've neglected their care. We've put them in the too embarrassing to talk about category. We've separated them from having anything to do with our relationship with God. We've reduced our relationship with God to something purely immaterial, only for the mind and the spirit. And our bodies have nothing to do with the equation. But Jesus showed up in his coming in a body, and he touched our bodies, and he gave his body as a sacrifice. And he rose again in a glorified body and wants to show us how to live our lives in our bodies like he did, how to serve God with our bodies like he did, how to love others with our bodies like he did. On the other end, in the truth that our bodies are not God, a different outcome is that we have turned our bodies into God, into the thing that we worship and seek after. Um, Romans expresses kind of this idolatry saying, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. We worship the creature instead of the creator. And you might be thinking, worship? Really? Like, I don't, I don't worship my body or anyone else's body. But reality, in reality, worship is the thing that we look to to be the thing that makes it all better for us, to be the thing that's worthy of our time and attention. What do we, it's what we think about all the time. It's what we talk about all the time. It's what we spend our money on. That is what we worship. And I think you only have to take a tiny slice of look at our advertising to know that our, our world worships our bodies in one way or another. Most things advertised relate to our bodies. This thing to make you look younger. This thing to make you stronger. This thing to make you healthy forever. This thing to make you young forever. This thing to make you safe from all harm. This thing to make you desirable. This thing to give you the sexual experience you've always been looking for. This thing to be the best food you've ever tasted. This thing to get you high in a way that you've never been high before. It's different for different people, right? But we are, our society is oriented around our bodies and other people's bodies in a way that exchanges the worship of the creator for the worship of the creature. But Jesus came in his life and death and resurrection, and he worked victory over every false god, everything that sets itself up in the place of God, including the distortion of how we see our bodies. So our bodies are good, but they are not God. Maybe one of those truths is really important for you to, to meditate on today. Most of us dip in and out of both of them. But what is it today that you need to remember and grab onto? That our bodies are good, but they are not God. So how are we meant to live in our bodies then? What are they for? Why do we have them? If they're good and if God gave them to us on purpose, and if Jesus is coming in the flesh in the incarnation, was to redeem all of creation, including our bodies. How are we meant to live in our bodies? 
And this is part of the question I've been asking God. And I, for sure today, this is not an exhaustive list. There are probably many more things. And I'd love to hear kind of what the Spirit of God is teaching you about how to live in your body. So today are just kind of three, three things that have been highlighted to me about why God gave us bodies. The first one is that God gave us our bodies in order to connect with God and ourselves and others. That's part of what they're for. They're a vehicle for connection with God. So in response, we receive them as a gift. And through them, we cultivate connection with God and with ourselves and with others. So he gave us our bodies as this meaningful means of connection. We saw this in the garden that he gave his people a physical place to be. And he came, the scripture says he walked with them in the cool of the day. That we were made for fellowship with God. And I think God knows that we are helped by our senses in our connection with him. So his creation reveals his glory and we experience that with our bodies. God also in history gave, he gave his people the temple, right? That was a place of imagery, of sensory, with candles and incense and symbolic imagery. And then Jesus came and he is the new temple and we, his people, are the temple. And he gave us the waters of baptism and the bread and the wine of communion. These bodily experiences that help make real to us these invisible deep realities. And so our bodies are meant to be something that we use to help us in our connection with God. I'm curious when the last time is that you thought about your five senses. That's like part and parcel of preschool curriculum, right? So I'm thinking maybe we should go get the little rascals that left to come back and they could probably teach us about our five senses, right? If anyone is aware that life is meant to be lived kind of full-bodied, it's little people, right? And what does Jesus say about the kingdom of heaven? If you want to receive the kingdom, become like a little child. So let's go hang out with toddlers for a bit and see if we can't learn how to be in our bodies as means of connection with God and ourselves and each other because that's what they spend all of their time doing. If you've been around a little person recently, it's all exploration of the world, mainly by putting things in their mouths like, what is this? If I put it in my mouth, I'll know more about what it is, right? That's kind of the developmental stage of, of early life. Touch, taste, hear, see, and try to begin to make sense of it all, right? But if you spend time with a toddler, you're kind of drawn into this curiosity, this wonder, this touching, and for them, tasting everything that I think is we should probably outgrow the putting everything in our mouth, but I don't think we should outgrow the curiosity and exploration of God's world that fosters connection with him because what they are doing is beginning to discover the world and that means discovering the creator who made the world. So let's not outgrow the wonder and curiosity of with our bodies experiencing God's creation in a way that reveals to us the creator. They also are pretty good at being experiencing their bodies as a connection to themselves. Um, there's not a whole lot of filter. So if you've been around a toddler lately, when they hurt, they scream. When they're hungry, they cry. When they're sleepy, they throw a fit, right? They're, in, they're connected to, this is going on in my body, and it's telling me something, and I need everybody to know about it, right? Again, we should probably outgrow the fit throwing, or it, I don't know that any of us have. I think our fits just look a little different, right? I think I'm still cranky when I'm hungry and I'm tired. I maybe just don't go on the floor and pound my fists. But they are often very connected to what's going on in their own bodies, and they answer those calls or scream until their parents answer those calls. I need a nap. Put me to bed, right? And I think somehow we've a little bit outgrown paying attention to what is our body telling us about how we are. I'm tight in my shoulders. There's probably some stress that I need to bring to the Lord. My stomach is tied up in knots. There's probably some anxiety I need to bring to the Lord. Are we paying attention to the fact that he gave us a body that helps us know, hey, there's stuff going on in you that I want you to bring to me. 
that I want you to scream out to your good father for, and I will come and I will pay attention to what your body is telling you is going on inside of you. And the other, in connection with others, again, if we learn from our toddler friends, they are always living their lives physically in connection with others. At that stage of life, it's primarily their parents, but climbing up in laps, touching faces, they're all up in your grill when you're a parent of a toddler, right? Because they are trying to kind of figure out, you're you, I'm me, this is my safe place, I want to be here, right? They're using their bodies as connection. And even as they begin to build connections with friends, right? They're hitting their friends, they're pulling their friends' hair, they're biting their friends, they're pulling on toys. It's a physical figuring out of how do we relate to each other, right? And again, hopefully we've outgrown the biting and the hair pulling, but not the letting our bodies be a vehicle of connection, of kind and loving connection with the people that God has put in our life. So our bodies were given to us as a means to connect with God and ourselves and others. So even just right now, pick any part of your body or any one of your five senses and challenge yourself to think, how does this part of my body, how does this sense that I have help me connect with God and myself and others? Because that's what it was made for. So if we pay attention to it, it gets to fulfill part of its intended purpose. And when I pay attention, then I can receive it as a gift and be thankful for it and treat that part of my body with honor and say yes to those connections that he is building. So one example, I was talking with one of my kids recently and somehow we started talking about skin. And what would life be like if we didn't have skin, right? Skin that protects us from infection, Skin that helps us feel the warmth of the sun. Skin that helps us feel the chills of the Holy Spirit. Skin that helps us receive the kind touch of people that love us. And that kind of touch that communicates you're safe, you're loved, you're worthy of time and attention. Skin that alerts us to pain when something is wrong, if we're touching something that is too hot. Right? That's just one part of our body. But we could go on a treasure hunt forever of paying attention and noticing how are the different parts of our bodies and our different senses helping us connect to God and to ourselves and to each other rather than being a source of disconnection from God or ourself or others. So I think the invitation is to notice and to pay attention that God is speaking to us through our bodies. Are we listening? So that's the first, that God gave us our bodies as a means to connect. And so we want to receive them as a gift and cultivate that connection. The second is that our bodies point to our true citizenship, to the deeper realities of the kingdom of God. And so our response is to hope and to look to that full reality. We sang about that this morning. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Jesus, you're the cup that doesn't run dry. So our bodies are this beautiful means of grace and connection, but it doesn't end there. We know that they're limited. We know that our experiences in our bodies, though they are tastes of the goodness of God, we don't have it all. They are not full. It will take eternity for the riches of his kindness in us toward Jesus Christ to be shown to us. And so there are so many times when we have a lot of good experiences in our body, but we also know that they are limited, that they are not the glorified body yet, and even the best of, like, food that I could taste that shows me the grace of God does not fully satisfy the deepest part of me, right? So our bodies by nature are places of longing and desire. God made them that way on purpose. Our bodies and our souls are full of desire and longing, and those desires and longings And even the the temporary pleasures that show us a bit of the grace of God point us to the true object of our desire, and that's God. There is this, Casey mentioned that I had a C.S. Lewis book. There is this great, great part where C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So a baby feels hunger, Well, there is such a thing as food. 
A duckling wants to swim? Well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire? Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or an echo or a mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find fully until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. That's one of the things I love about Elevation is I feel like you guys are pressing on to that true country. You are longing for heaven to come to earth now and you are looking forward to its full consummation. So he's redeeming our bodies now, but he will resurrect them into glorified bodies with deeper capacity to experience all the goodness that he has for us in himself. The scriptures talk about this like groaning, that we groan and all of creation groans as we're waiting for the fullness of God's redemption. Paul says it like this in Romans 8. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We are groaning for the full redemption of our bodies when we can fully experience all the goodness that God has for us, which is himself. In Philippians, Paul talks about it like this, talking about enemies of God. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. That kind of looks like the orientation toward our bodies as God, right? Our appetites. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Another place in scripture, Paul talks about it like the, imper the perishable putting on imperishable. So it's not that we're going to get rid of our body and become floaty and have floaty experiences with God. But that we are going to get a fuller, more perfect version of our body. And for all eternity, we will live out our intended purposes in glorified bodies. So that is part of the Advent hope. We are longing, and our bodies can feel the longing and groaning for the fullness of God's kingdom, for Christ's return. Our bodies are part of that hoping and groaning and longing, pointing us to the deeper reality that we were made for, full communion with God. So in the times when we experience just that nothing in this world can satisfy that is meant to point us to what can fully satisfy that Jesus's, Jesus's cup that doesn't run dry. So that's the second one, that our bodies point to the deeper reality that our citizenship is in heaven. And the last one for today is that he gave us our bodies to be his dwelling place and to manifest God to the world. So, in response, we offer up our bodies to God. 
So we've been talking about how Jesus came and he took on flesh and the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form. John said it, we've seen his glory. He came in the, in the flesh to reveal God to the world, to accomplish salvation and redemption and to invite us into his very real kingdom. And then after his resurrection, Jesus gave instructions to his followers. Paul mentioned them this morning before his ascension. Because he is still at work in the world in bodily form. How? His resurrected body is in heaven. Maybe we've gotten so used to this phrase that it's lost a little bit of its power. The body of Christ. That we are the body of Christ. We, his people, are Christ's body on earth. The primary vehicle that he uses, he works in a lot of ways, but the primary vehicle he uses to reveal himself to the world and continue to tell them of his salvation and invite people into his very real kingdom is his body, which is us. That he has chosen to put his presence in his people and have his people be the physical revelation of God to the world. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says it like this. God put all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when Jesus came, the fullness of God dwelt in him in bodily form. He died and he rose again, and then he said, I'm the head, you're the body, and as I am filled with the fullness of God, I'm filling you with the fullness of God, and you go be my physical, the physical revelation of me to the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it, that together we form all the parts of his body. And that he works through us to reveal himself. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 said, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 4, We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. We're laying down our lives so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are the body of Christ in the world. The way that he shows himself to the world and invites everyone into his life. In our work, in our play, in the way we treat others, in our family life, in our stewardship of creation, in our stewardship of our resources, in our eating, in our drinking, in our money spending, in our sexuality, in our creating, in our building, in our serving, in our care for the sick, all of these things that we do in our bodies as we live our life, in our whole person, our whole life, he is revealing himself to the world. He has taken up residence among us. I love how Elevation Church takes seriously being the body of Christ in the world. You just talked about it this morning with your Thanksgiving sharing and what's coming up in the toy drive. You serve each other and you serve your community. You eat together. You pray for each other. You do maintenance on people's homes. You prayer walk your community. As you become a place that he inhabits with his presence. As you guys seek his presence continually, he's moving through you as his body to show himself to the world. He has made us his dwelling place. We are his body. So what does that mean? It means that we offer our bodies up to him for his use. We consecrate them. We set them apart. Our bodies have been given to us as a gift, like everything else we have. And like everything else, we offer them back to him 
right back so that they can fulfill their intended purpose. So we offer up our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 says it like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What we do with our bodies in offering them to God for his use is a spiritual act of worship. In Romans 6, Paul says it like this. Don't present your members, don't present your parts of your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. What we do with our bodies matters, and we are invited to present them, each part of them to God, as instruments for righteousness. They are means of grace through which God manifests himself to the world. What if we all woke up tomorrow morning and offered every part of our body, our whole selves to God as instruments for righteousness? Here's my brain, God. Here are my hands, God. Here are my ears, God. Here's my skin, God. I think as we learn, like we talked about earlier, to receive our bodies as a gift from God through which we connect with him, we become more ready to present our bodies as living sacrifices that he can use to reveal himself to the world. So in summary, during Advent, we remember that Jesus took on flesh and he was born. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven to reveal God to the world, to accomplish our salvation, and to invite us into his amazing kingdom. And his coming and his living and his dying and his rising in a body teaches us something about our bodies. He made our bodies and they are good, but they are not God. He gave us our bodies to connect with him and ourselves and each other. And so we receive our bodies as a gift and we use them to cultivate those connections. Our bodies help point us to our true home, the fullness of the kingdom of God. So we let our groanings and our desires and our longings draw us to God and set our sights on him. And together, we are the body of Christ. He has filled us with himself. With Jesus as the head, we reveal God to the world. And so we offer our bodies and every part of them to God for his purposes. I'd love for us to just take a little bit of time in reflection and kind of in listening prayer. And so, God, we invite you to spirit and guide our thoughts and our imaginations and our hearts. And so I'd love for you to, in prayerful reflection with God, ask a few of these questions. What is one thing that I can do this week to allow my body to help cultivate connection with God? with myself, or with other people. Feel free to jot that down or just hold it in your heart. What's one real thing you can do this week to allow your body help you cultivate connection with God?
The second question is this. What longings am I experiencing that help me realize my citizenship is in heaven and that I was made to know God fully? Where is it that nothing in this world can satisfy? And can I let that point me to the fact that I was made to know God more fully? Let the Holy Spirit highlight for you what longings you're experiencing that are meant to point to him. I think the last question is this, knowing that we are the body of Christ in the world. What is one way God is inviting me to practically offer my body to him in order to reveal his goodness to someone in my world? One practical way God's inviting me to use my body to reveal his goodness to someone Dance a new dance like David